As I walked on through Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked and bleak, her straight to me away. Santi, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance to polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan and Johnny Kennedy. In this podcast, we speak to Sandra Feeney Charles, the Executive Director at the Ashling Irish Community and Cultural Centre in Yonkers. The centre has played an important role in the lives of Irish immigrants and Irish Americans over the past 25 years. This year, the group was part of a tri-state effort to raise funds for Irish Americans in need during COVID-19, called Slainta 2020. Sandra exclusively reveals to us the staggering amount of cash that has been raised so far. She explains the inspirational Team Ashling concept and describes how Team Ashling members raise money for Slainta 2020. We discuss how the pandemic has affected the elderly and undocumented immigrants. We also chat about the mental health struggles people have faced during COVID-19. But first, we asked Sandra to give us a brief history about the centre and what it offers the community. So, you're familiar with the term jack of all trades? <laughs> I have a very yeah. fancy title, executive director, but I'm technically jack of all trades. Um, so, the Ashling Centre started about 24 years ago with a very small group of people, um, a couple of um, ministers with the Irish Charities, Catholic Charities Organisation, and with a couple of volunteers, they created a little centre, not, not quite in Yonkers, but they were uh, ready to meet the needs of the newly arriving immigrants. And as the numbers of immigrants arriving in America, and particularly in New York, grew, they decided that they'd need to expand a little bit. So they found a home in Yonkers, um, set up an office. It was pretty well established pretty quickly by the founding members, who uh, formed a board and set in motion the services that were needed at the time, particularly to meet the needs of the newly arriving immigrant, like I said, which would have been help finding accommodation, help finding work, trying to figure out the differences between where they've come from and where they are right now, because we're very different society and culture. And as the years went by, um, the centre has grown. Families began to settle and instead, well, along with immigrants arriving, they now have families with children and seniors. So the programs have grown to include um, karate for little guys like this and art classes and Zumba classes for mom, uh, yoga. We have a thriving community of about 100 seniors. The, the program they, they take part in is called Young at Heart. They range in age from about 60 to 93 Senior, yeah, they're, they're, it's amazing. Anywhere from two to four times a week, they come down to the centre. So twice a week, we prefer, we serve hot lunch for them. And then there's a book club. There is chair yoga. It's the sweetest thing in the world to walk in on Friday morning and see the girl that cleans the centre likes to set up the chairs for the seniors. And you know she does it with love. There's a circle of chairs, about 30 chairs. And then at 12.30, the seniors arrive, they sit in their chair and... I'm, I call myself a volunteer yoga teacher. Um, I've I've taught that class a couple of times, just subbing for the regular teacher. 
And it would just do your heart good to see how enthusiastic they are and how how good they feel afterwards. And when they say thanks for that, it was great. You know they genuinely mean it. So um, we have a huge welfare program that spans from looking out for those seniors, looking after their mental health needs. For example, if someone has a bereavement and they're very down, the social worker is popping in and out during lunch. She helps to serve the lunch. She'll keep an eye on the folks, and if she sees someone needs a little a little chat or a helping hand, she'll be the first one to discreetly tap them on the shoulder and say, do you want to pop in for a chat and a cup of tea? That kind of thing. It goes from there to um, the, the most serious forms of mental health support, um, where people might be suicidal. Uh, we also have a very, very well-attended AA meeting um, that takes place every week. Um, and then we have, and there's that's kind of the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what day here. is that? Me and Michael will be up. What day is that? <laughs> we'll give you a shout. We'll give you a shout. Well, we heard the chairs are in circle. I was thinking, I was going to make that joke when you were saying about all the chairs in a circle. I was like, that girl's been to an AA meeting. She knows how to put the chairs out. <laughs> uh, that too, right? So then we also have a great cultural program. We have classes in, so there's Bridget Flynn's dance, uh, School of Irish Dance downstairs. We have uh, the Don Doherty School of Music teaches um, group and private lessons in Irish singing, Irish music. Uh, there's a ballet group and we have a newly, well, not new, they're almost two years old now. Our Cayley Band is a phenomenal group of young musicians from the community who don't perform competitively with the centre. This is purely cultural. Gives them an opportunity to showcase their talent and... I, I'm not biased when I say this. None of my kids are in it yet, um, shamefully. Um, but they are a really, really good group of musicians. Um, if anybody saw the Team Ashling Facebook Live last week, they'd have seen um, the the Irish the uh, Irish Central Cayley Band. Then did I just say Team Ashling? <laughs> One of our hold on. <laughs> oh yes. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy to see that. Well done. And you look good too. So Team Ashling is phenomenal. You could probably talk more about Team Ashling than I could, Michael. It's the most phenomenal group of individuals, volunteers from everywhere from the far end of Queens up through the Bronx, Manhattan. Um, okay, Queens, Manhattan, the Bronx, all the way up through Yonkers, up as far as Rockland County, we have members who like to run or walk, run at a, at a competitive pace, take a gentle jog. And groups meet up regularly, very often on Saturday or Sunday. And even throughout the social distancing, they've been able to meet, keep socially distanced while they're having a little chit-chat and warm up. And then they go off and run at whatever pace suits them and, you know, makes them happy. So one of the benefits of team Ashling obviously, obviously is that you set your goal and you, you, you meet it in a, in a very friendly, sort of a welcoming environment. The big benefit of team Ashling that I've been hearing so much about, and I see it every time I meet these guys and, and girls, is the social connection. The members of Team Ashling have rekindled old friendships. You know, you know, you start working, you have maybe you have a family, you might be working in the city. You don't get to see people 
after a certain point, you know, unless you're making it your business to go to the pub at the weekend. And for a lot of us, it's just not an option, especially if you have two or three kids at home. But this hour or hour and a half on Saturday or Sunday morning, meeting up in Tibbetts Park or Juniper Park or wherever they are, they do their little warm up and off they go, have a little chit chat along the way. So there's a lot of social reconnecting and then meeting new friends. And the other component that you don't really plan for but has really shown its true colours, especially through the whole COVID pandemic, is the, um, the social support. The Team Ashling Challenge for the month of May was to run whatever your form of 5K was. And for the more, um, let's say, aggressive runners, some did half marathons, um, a couple of amazing people, Seamus Kane, I think who was back in Kerry, and our own Catherine Flood here actually ran marathons on uh, the morning of the 31st of May. There's a lot of, there's a lot of community support in Team Ashling. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the start of it. So as, uh, as you know, Sandra, I was involved with Team Ashling last year, covering, doing a bit of video work and social media work. And I got a first-hand experience of the Ashling Centre. And I was up there a few times and the work there. When you see the old people in there for the book reading club when I was up there. And okay. when I was doing the video for the dinner dance. And just the elderly people. It was just, it's just a hive of activity. It's a great, it's a great centre. And the Team Ashling component was just really put a kind of um, really put a face on the Ashling Centre, I think, because when I was there last year, when we were when at the marathon, and there was three, was there three hundred people running the marathon for Team Ashling, and they had those orange tops on, and it was just really gave some, it just really hit home the community spirit of the Ashling Centre. And even when I was at the dinner dance, and the amount of people. I was just speaking to on the, on the side how much the Ashling Centre means to people over the last quarter of a century. You know, the help that they gave them along the way was just a great avenue. So it's a, it's a, like if people aren't aware of it, it's, it's up there. McLean, I think I was wrong. It's not Yonkers. I think, no, you're I right. Think I was, it is. Right, I it is. I... You're spot on. It's funny. Yonkers and the Bronx are literally, you know, you could draw a line down the middle of McLean Avenue and half of it is Yonkers and half of it is okay. oh, I think I was saying the Bronx to people last year and they were saying no no we're in Yonkers yeah. so, and Team Ashling was the brainchild of, a, of a, one of the volunteers or Catherine Flood wasn't it and it was just a great and I was speaking to people just how it made people reconnect with people they had grown up with and it's like it's, it's, if you're not involved with something like a GA or something like that that you're going to lose touch with people and it was just a re- great way of reconnecting with people and then, so Team Ashling was kind of rolled out again this year for first line to 2020, the big fundraiser for the Irish American community here. So just tell us who's involved with the line to 2020. There's a few groups involved in it and Absolutely. what Team Ashling did, did for it, Sandra. So just so you know, Team Ashling, without any prompting from the Ashling Centre, um, the, 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 the team captains themselves, all of whom are volunteers, just took it on their own initiative to get out there and start start fundraising. Um, so, very quickly after we realised the the seriousness and the breadth of impact that COVID nineteen was wreaking on the community, um, and with concern for for everybody really, but particularly people in the hospital, we were very keenly aware that there were people in the hospitality industry that were going to suffer quickly and probably long-term. 
Katrina Clark, who is our chairperson uh, and a business owner on McLean Avenue, had discussions with a couple of other business owners on McLean Avenue, and it was out of their concern for the local community. And, it, you know, Woodlawn is, is a tight-knit community. So it was out of their concern for the local community that they thought, look, we can't just sit by and do nothing. Um, and they put the word out, and... The response was immediately yes from those that were that were asked for help. So the very quickly a steering committee was formed and the steering committee was um, Joan Henchy, the uh, president of the New York GAA, Michael Morley, the first vice, vice president of the United Irish Counties Association, Siobhan Dennehy, the director of the Emerald Isle Immigration Centre that has an office in the Bronx and also out in Queens. Um, Paul from the um, New York Irish Centre in Long Island City and Katrina and myself from the Ashton Irish Centre. So uh, the committee convened by Zoom. It's amazing how quickly we all got to technology, even the ones that weren't so familiar. And Nobody heard of Zoom before March, I don't think. I never heard of bleeding Zoom before March, and this is about my fifth one to do. Jesus. It's crazy. Unbelievable. So oh, it's amazing. They, they got on board, and we decided very quickly that we had to reach out and raise as much as we could. Um, we, we figured that if we raised 100,000, we'd be doing really, really well. And um, we set up between us, so we had collective experience in one, one area or another. So we decided that we'd use our collective experience to roll it out, to make sure that every penny that was raised would be distributed to people who, who really needed help, um, that there would be no expenses involved and that we would do it to the highest standard possible. So um, Katrina brought on board an amazing man, Shane Humphreys, who is a, a lawyer by training, um, to help oversee everything that was being done. Um, and Shane then, runs the Dublin Society, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. I know Shane well, yeah. He's good cool. guy. Yeah. Every email finishes with need the love. Yeah, he's a great guy. Very good yeah. man. Um, so, a vetting system was set up. A website was created. The Hello. fastest website I ever saw Hi. being designed. Um, an application form was approved and everything went live within about, I'd say, two weeks. Um, we have 40,000 raised within two days of the site going up. The Irish government came wow. on board very, very quickly and offered support immediately. Um, and they've been very supportive of everything that we've been doing. To date, we've raised about just almost 450,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that much. Guess wow. what? Even more wow. That money has all been distributed. Within, I would say within 10 days of anything coming in, it's going back out again. We've had well over 400 applicants. So there was a meeting today, another one tomorrow, reviewing the next batch coming in. Um, there's been with 400 and change applications so far. On my last count, we were at 420. We have almost 700 individuals attached to those applications. A hundred of those are kids. So obviously you have families with two or three children. Um, and the, the most difficult part, like 450 sounds amazing, but at the beginning, when we had 100,000 and we had 200 applications, 
I'll tell you what, it was no joke trying to figure out how do you do this? You know, what, yeah. what do you do? Um, how do you yeah. decide who gets what? So, we very so generally what it is for Sandra, just to explain to people, sorry, to explain to people, it's for people that qualify for the welfare that don't, they have, they basically, their income has ended, which is generally, as you said, a lot of people in the service industry, bartenders, waitresses, and a lot of people. Is that how it works? That's how it works. So basically anybody so in the, yeah. in the tri-state area that has an Irish passport or an Irish connection is, was, was, and is eligible to apply for support. Uh, people who, don't have any other access to fiscal support. So either you're undocumented or you're transitioning one, from one visa to another so you can't apply for unemployment. Um, you haven't worked for long enough to be able to apply for unemployment. So you don't get anything from anybody else. You've nowhere else to turn to. So Slaunch is kind of the last resort. And it's amazing, actually, it... I think I think Irish pride is a very heavy burden to bear. It's amazing how a lot of people didn't reach out in the beginning, um, but then when they did, you could you could hear you could actually hear the shame in their in their voice when they're writing. Like people did say, "I'm sorry to be asking. I feel so bad. I'm embarrassed to apply." It make you so sad to think that people and and these are the very families that when there's a benefit out in sure. Sunnyside yeah, or right. Woodside or up in Rory Donuts, they're the guys that are going to come along and drop $100 in the bucket and not ask a question, yeah. you know. And they're the same ones that are paying their rent at the moment. They're paying everything. And people are saying, oh, you don't have to pay your rent. You can't get evicted. They don't want to live like that. They yeah. still want to pay the rent. And they still want to do the thing. And it's, it's an amazing thing, like, for We've seen it before, like with the, you know, Kevin Bell, the type of thing, but it's amazing at this time to see it because people that are given that money, generally, let's be honest, they don't know what's down the road for themselves either. They could be, you know, we don't, it's not like there's light at the end of there. Obviously this week we've seen some good news and stuff, but we still don't know what January is going to be like. I personally think any of the bars that will open, I think a lot of them will close after they open. I hope I'm wrong on that, but like, obviously we won't get into it, but the PPP loans and all that have been amazing. But for these people to see is raise that amount of money, it is, as you say, it is. It gives you some pride, doesn't it? Like it, might, like it gives you some buzz that you, when you see people doing that type of things, it really does. Like I love it. Yeah, it, you know what? It restores your faith in humanity, and it's not just. No, so we've had, you know, we've had checks coming from uh, Houston. South Car- Houston, Texas, South Carolina. Um, uh, Michael Morley was telling me that he has goddaughters in Australia and South Africa and ki- his own kids in two other countries that have all contributed. Like there's contributions coming from so many different places. And all of the, uh, the GA did a phenomenal, they've done several drives here and they, ha- they have a lot of support. They've, they've uh, challenged every county association in ireland to make a contribution local individuals here local business owners who are out of you know who've been closed technically out of business for the last three months supporting so the level of support has been phenomenal um and 
Yeah, the system was set up to support people who had no access to any other type of financial support. And the goal was to give them one helping hand so that they could make a decision uh, about what they were going to do going forward so that they weren't going to be waiting for the landlord to bang on the door or that they couldn't go grocery shopping. You know, it wasn't an awful lot of money, but hopefully it was enough just to tide people over to give them a chance so that they didn't have to run to Kennedy Airport straight away. So they could buy groceries for another couple of weeks, pay a portion of their rent and take a breath and make an informed decision. Do I have what I need to ride this out or do I need to get out of town? So that was, that. I mean, we'd love to be able to support everybody for as long as possible. It's not possible to do that. So it really was just to give people a chance to take a breather and take the, the pressure off for a little while until things sort of come back to whatever the new, the new form of normal is going to be. Sandra, how do, we, how do you find, like that other gentleman that you've found and you've brought on the walk, which is brilliant, but how do you, how do you find the other guys that are like that? Like, unfortunately, they probably lived relatively, hopefully month by month, not week by week. But, you know, his only bit of company was the bar. He was in the bar every night with his few bottles. And, you know, I'm not, but like, there's a lot more of them there now. And they're sitting at home now and drinking at home and stuff like that. And probably running out of funds and stuff like that. How do you find the other ones? How do you get to them? Is, is, it's very difficult for you, you know, hopefully friends or someone will point them out, but. I think that's, you've hit on a really, really pertinent topic right now. Um, when this started, one of the first things that we did at the Ashling Centre was put blue, blue posters everywhere. First of all, thanking the frontline workers and letting people know that we're here. The Ashling, the doors are closed, but the Ashling Centre staff are all working. Everybody took their computer home and everybody has a phone and we're all here. And... I think people who had been through Hurricane Katrina and Sandy and other sorts of disasters were kind of scratching their heads, wondering, why aren't, why aren't the phones hopping off the hooks? We were getting calls about visas and information about visas and referring people to the consulate and things like that. But we didn't actually get a whole lot of phone calls to the centre for the first month, um, which was kind of strange because... People really didn't know what was going on for a start. Secondly, they probably had enough to tie them over for a while. And thirdly, they really didn't want to ask for help. Um, I think a lot of people have asked for help out of necessity. One of the things that we've definitely noticed is, um, and I think this is true to say of all communities, there are definitely a lot more people relying on the bottle to get them back. We all do it. It's you know, it's, Unless you're a non-drinker, and good luck to you if you can handle it, um, I think everybody would agree that we're struggling. The two of us are struggling, but we're getting there. <laughs> we, we don't, neither of us drink so that's, but like, you know, but that's, but that's why I say it. I'm in the bar business and I see it and I know like the other side of it, you know, I've seen the issues, of, but nearly when they were in the bar, they knew PJ behind the bar, they knew, you know, and he was their guy. And not everybody came here. Like, I don't know what each of your, like in a Michael situation, but not everybody came over here. It was great. Some of these people left Ireland in the 80s and stuff like that, and they, they don't really go home that much. They don't go for all Ireland. They don't get, so even if they can travel, they, you know, and they just, they've transformed their little village life in Ireland to McLean Avenue or to Woodside or to Sunnyside. And now you've taken away that bar from them. Mm -hmm. And that was their, 
like people talk about rural Ireland, like closing the pubs for the demand to go up and they, they, that, that's exactly the same. Just because there's millions of people in New York and we've hit on this before on the podcast, it's still the loneliest place in the world. Like it's way lonelier than any little town in Mayo or anywhere in Ireland. You don't have family. Like family will go down and knock on the door if they don't see you at Sunday Mass or if they don't see him down at the pub. You can close your door in New York and go in behind the apartment. They're not coming looking for you. But we've seen this even more now because they don't need to go looking for that guy. He wasn't at the building site Monday to Friday. Yeah, well, none of us are. And now there's the liquor store. And the first week, it's, it's funny you say the first month you didn't get that many phone calls. That doesn't really surprise me because some people are like, oh, geez, we're off. You know, this is great result. That wears thin very quickly. And then when lads start realizing they're depending on the bottle or on the weed or acting a bit too much. So the fear is, how do you get to them, guys? You, you know. So I'm going to just answer that in two parts. I spent two weeks the second two weeks of that first month making phone calls. I had just a casual conversation after meeting with my bookkeeper. Um, I said, I said to her, really honestly, look, I know there's guys out there, young fellas who haven't been here for long enough to get themselves established. Um, I'm thinking construction workers, bartenders, waitresses. And in my mind, the, the, the order of priority would have been waitresses because they don't have the same income capacity typically as a bartender so they mightn't have had as much put aside um construction workers who aren't long here who maybe who's maybe laboring who, who are not established and then everybody else in the hospitality industry um and then add to that everybody who's undocumented and i essentially like i know there's people here who are if they're not hurting now they will be soon and you know the ashing center has a we, there's always a contingency fund for, you know, God forbid there's a funeral or whatever it is. Like there's a compassionate aid fund there to help people. We had purchased $1,000 worth of grocery store, uh, you know, C-Town and Stop and Shop store cards that we were ready to hand to people so that they could at least buy food. Yeah. And we weren't getting the phone calls. So mentioned it to Anya and she said, look, I know a lot of, uh, I'm out of the, I'm out of touch with, people that are, um, let's say, I don't go to the bars anymore, right? So I'm not in we the bar scene. We just heard the reason why you don't go to the bars. <laughs> okay, so, so, so <laughs> we're, we're square with that, right? That's, there's, no, there's no further discussion required there. Um, so she made a couple of phone calls and just mentioned to a couple of the lads that, you know, if you, if you are stuck, just remember the Ashton Centre is there. Just because you're not in there for a class or a programme doesn't mean you can't reach out. And she herself and her husband had actually received a phone call from one of their mothers who had had a call from another mother about Johnny down the road who hadn't been working for three weeks and he was definitely feeling the pinch. But he so this mother's phone call was made at home? The mother, it was made so a mother at home called another mother at home wow. to say, have you heard, are you, are you in touch with... Agnes, such and such, and yeah. uh, I am. I talk to her very regularly. And would you ever ask her? Would you ever ask Agnes to check in on Johnny and just see how he's really doing? Because of the feeling he's he's not doing okay. And Agnes did check in on him, and she sorted him out. You know, she gave him the loan of a bit of money, and told him that you know things are going to get better. And after we had our conversation, um, she made a few phone calls. 
and just put the word out there on the street, I mean, literally on the street, to that, that part of the community that doesn't need the likes of the Ashling Centre anymore, right? That's, that's not, they don't see us as, that, as the regular support system. They have their, they have their gag games, they have their training, they have their, whatever they're into, soccer, pub, couple of nights in the weekend, life is good when it's good, but then when it stops, where do you turn? If you, if you can't ask your best friend, you're not going to ask somebody in a stranger in a centre that, that you don't know. So that started a movement among some of the younger guys and fair play to them. A lot of them had said, you know, um, I'm OK for this week and next week, but I think the following week I'm going to be stuck. Nobody's putting their hand out looking for something for nothing. OK, that was that was the first outreach. Immediately when the centre closed its doors, we started to change the way we deliver our programme. So obviously anything that could go go online went to Zoom straight away. Music, singing, anything that could go virtual went virtual. But you can't reach 100 seniors uh, by Zoom or Facebook when they either don't have a smartphone or have one and don't know how to use it and don't have internet access or couldn't be bothered. They all, you know, their their main interest is coming to the centre twice a week or four times a week to see their friends and they get the benefit of a, you know, a well-balanced, nutritious meal. Um, and then they go home and watch TV and they probably call their kids and grandkids, right? So that's, you know, put into in really simple nutshell. So they couldn't do any of that right now. They couldn't even go to the store to get their groceries. So we reached out to our volunteers and we have an amazing bunch of volunteers. Many, many of them are team Ashling members, um, regular folks. And a lot of people had reached out to us actually to offer to do whatever they could to help, you know, when we figured out what, what our plan was. So we started twice weekly phone calls to the almost 100 members of the senior group. Um, as the word spread they were kind of watching out for their other friends who wouldn't necessarily be coming to the centre. And if they weren't hearing from them, they would let us know. So he asked, how do you how do you find somebody that doesn't show up on the job site? I can't answer that one yet for you because it's not the part of the community that we typically have a relationship with. But for, for those that we do, and I'm talking specifically now about the seniors, if somebody's not answering the phone... I'll tell you that one of our staff members spent a whole day trying to track down a lady who a a sister from Ireland had called to say, look, I'm trying to get in touch with Margaret and she's not answering the phone and I haven't spoken to her now in three days and we usually speak every day. They called the building super. They called every other senior in the building that they knew. They eventually figured out that the woman had a new phone and didn't know how to use it. So thank God everything was okay. But she didn't stop until she found a way to contact that woman. I was hoping you were going to tell me Margaret was at the going on Tinder there now or something. She was at the going <laughs> Tinder on her smartphone. She's no. up like but, this, but the good news is the good news is Margaret is okay. Margaret is something seventy something, you know, late seventies and living on her own. All right, so there's yeah. the twice weekly phone calls and then um there's the meal delivery. So we work with the, so while all, every place is closed down and all you can do is get pick up this and that. We alternated with different um, restaurants and food service vendors of whatever description 
to we so we we would order meals for the people that on our list of of seniors who wanted them um and if they had a partner if they had a husband or wife or significant other at home we would offer a meal to them also um so we're now deliver delivering with the help of our volunteers from the alternating to the different establishments around the around McLean Avenue and Catone Avenue we're delivering 100 hot meals a week so even though they're not coming to the centre to meet their friends and having the chit-chat and having the dinner, we're calling them to make sure they're okay. And it's these calls could be five minutes, it could be 30 seconds, yeah, I'm grand, I'm good, I don't need anything, thanks very much, put me down for dinner on Friday, I have to go. Or it could be a 30-minute conversation because somebody's lonely or stressed or feeling isolated. So it's the good old phone call. Um, and how we're going to do things going forward, I don't know. I do, I'm do. i very clear that we have to think outside the box about how we're going to deliver our programs. You know, maybe we go to public access TV for our, our chair yoga and we send an old-fashioned letter in the mail to everybody who used to participate in chair yoga to say, hey, guess what? Sandra's back. The usual time, 12.30 on Friday. She'll be in the centre. You will be at home. But if you go to Channel 33... At twelve thirty, yeah. you can do chair yoga with her. So that would be great. Yeah, it, well, we're looking into it right now. I don't know if it's going to actually happen, but that's the kind of thing we need to consider. Um, and that's where we are right now. Slancha has taken up the majority of our resources for the last few months. To be really honest with you, that was where we saw the greatest need in the community. So we just jumped on board and did everything we could to to make it happen. The good news is I think that the, the level of applications has little, has dwindled down to a trickle, so uh, which is good timing because we've more or less exhausted our fundraising capacity. We've not we've tapped on every door, so I don't think there's a whole lot more that, you know, you don't want to squeeze it or bleed people dry either. So uh, for those that have held on, I will say that the little bit they got from Slaunches sometimes was just enough to say, this is kind of going off topic, but I just, I'm just i going to just put this out there. At one point in my life before the Ashling Centre, I was at an event where Ellie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor, was being honoured. And the thing that I remember from that event was, he was a remarkable guy, but the thing I remember from that event was to be in a concentration camp and know in your heart that nobody is listening and nobody cares is more difficult to live with than the insufficient ration of food and the hard labor that you wouldn't otherwise never contemplate doing. Just knowing that somebody can hear you when you say, I need a hand, or see you and say, can I help you? Even if you're not ready to take the help, to know that somebody is there is, can be the difference between falling into the depths of despair and being able to just keep your head above water. Uh, on, a, on a Zoom call with a number of organizations, it was, the, it was the first Friday at the Irish Consulate. They did a virtual first Friday and there was something like 75 people on the call. And uh, at one stage, they broke us into small chat rooms and I had the opportunity to speak with, just like this on Zoom, um, with a bartender who had been employed in a, a little place down in the village, in the West Village, and I asked her how she managed to still be here. She was one of three in an apartment. The other two had already gone home. She said that for the month of 
I guess from the from the middle of March to the well, probably for a bartender from from the beginning of March because March is the month that most you know yourself, Johnny. It's the best month of the year for anybody in the bar trade in New York. So that was gone from the beginning of March. There was nothing happening. Um, she said that she had her bag packed and was ready to go if she had to. She wanted to stay, but she wasn't really sure how she was going to do it. And then when she heard about Slauncha, she knew, okay, if things get really, really bad, I know that someone is there to help. She hasn't applied. She didn't need to apply. Thank God. The place that she's worked has opened up again. They're doing takeout service. But just knowing that there was a helping hand available and that somebody was listening sometimes makes the difference between I can't do this and okay, I can make it. Have you seen a mass exit just for myself through the industry and even around? I'm, we're both in Sunnyside. Uh, I, uh, there has been a lot, like, and I know. And now some of them was probably always their game plan, you know, at Sunday, and their hand got forced, obviously, and now it's speeded it up. Yeah, and then there was others there that were just you know had no other choice. So it, that's kind of sad. If their hand was forced, you know, you, the bitter taste them out. But do you think there will be more later down the road? Do you think like that this is a bit of an eye opener for some? You know, I think if I, Ireland was in a better shape, like there would have been a bigger exit. But it's not like there was any. It's not like going home would have. It wasn't like you were going back to a, an opened up Ireland. So I'd say that kept a lot of them here. They were like, well, what's the point? But, that was you know, so that, that could be interesting down the road. So there's, there's nothing scientific here yet because nobody's measuring the data. Here's what I can tell you. Consistently, 80% of the people that, um, that we met through Slauncha have been undocumented consistently since day one. And we have different numbers every week. And I track them at least once a week. 80, 80, went to 81% one, in one week of the people that we were talking to are undocumented. Now, it's, I think that's an eye opener. I know that, yeah, you know, it is for me. yeah, all the, so oh. all the Irish, there's a coalition of Irish, Irish immigration centers. We're not an immigration center, but we're, we, you know, we, we're involved with the coalition. Um, and to be able to give them a statistic like that kind of opened people's eyes. The ambassador, Ambassador Mull Hall, was really um, appreciative to get the facts, but shocked at the same time. And I think we can all say the same thing. Everything's been great in New York for the last few years. Okay, we won't go to the political situation, but for the regular Joe Soap who's going out to work, bringing home a wage, able to go to the pub a few nights of the weekend, or able to buy the iPod or whatever for the kids, life is good. And being undocumented isn't the wasn't the biggest issue. Okay, the, it, it's a whole other question. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's now, yeah, and it, it's 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 a major discussion. But we're not going to get into that. The point I'm trying to make here is that now that that the well run dry overnight and nobody has any income, people are starting to realise. Oh, actually, hang on, there are a number. There is a large number of undocumented Irish people still living in this country. And what are we going to do about it? So that's definitely, like I said, it's another conversation for another day. But there are people who are very, very aware, newly aware and very concerned. Um, the other, and this, this is something that we anticipated. Um, I think it was 60% of the people that we met through Sancha were also working in the hospitality industry and had, you know, everything was completely stopped overnight. So that was a shock, um, to say the very least. 
a lot of the a lot of the the girls that I would see in the local restaurants um I I know a number of them have gone home I'm not, I can't I'm not going to give you a number because I don't know how many but I you know the word on the street is again that's not scientific but the word on the street is that a lot of them did go home a lot of bartenders a lot of wait staff have gone home um I think there was a promise of the construction industry opening up a lot sooner than it was for any other industry and a lot of essential construction so if it was you know considered essential service the construction was allowed to continue so I think there was a level of hope for people in the construction industry that didn't apply to people in hospitality um and you know when you say Johnny that that this whole situation might have forced people's hand, I think you're 100% right there. I know there's families who've been on the fence, you know, for the last couple of years. Okay, will we, won't we, will we, won't we? Yes, um, income, earning capacity, wage earning capacity is so much better here than it is at home. But the quality of, or the, well, the standard of, which is it? The standard of living and the quality of life. Okay, so the quality of life is yeah. much better at home, especially if you have a family. So yeah. I, I, I do know of a couple of families who've made the decision to go. So were their hands forced? Yeah, I think probably. Made the problem yeah, it's sad because you, you made the point there, the financial aspect of it. The financial aspect of what we, when like I was in that position, like you sold yourself on that. You were like, yeah, but we won't have this and we won't have that and we won't have this and we won't have that. But then on the 16th of March, boom, that all ended. Like the service industry will never be the same. Like we are now going to have to look at it like you're gonna to have to hire in a whole different manner now like you know you've no j1 students so where does the h the next visa thing does kids want to come here they still do but well, like, who knows what the visa scenario is going to be next year are they going to just we don't know again we're not going to get into that yeah. but there you go you mentioned say just off the top of your head the x amount of girls that are gone there's x amount of bars there now when they do reopen and the big thing about it is it's in, it's intimidating enough to open a bar but trying to open it with a couple of hundred other bars at the exact same time is just, I just can't even get, I can't even wrap my head around that. Like, so, so everybody's going to be scrambling for the same staff. So it, it's, it's just, it's, it's a game changer. The whole thing is going to be, and that's, that's, that's a minor problem. We have that problem here. But a lot of these young people have gone home. And the part I've been thinking about, we all know what people like are at home and we love people at home and we all love this. But it's like, well, is there an element of shame even for them? Like, you know what I mean? That they're going to arrive home and say, oh, you're in America, you know, all the greatest country in the world. And now you're back here and you've nothing, you know, you've nothing to show for it and all that. I hope that, that they don't think that way and I hope they don't have that crap going on. But you know, that there is that little element of people that will sort of say that to them. And that's where I'd be afraid that some people probably should go home. You know what I mean? They should go home. This might be, when I say their hands were forced, that might be a realization. It's Ireland. It's like it's not a third world country. Get home. Get in the system. Get back into work. Like you, you'll not. If you, believe me, I know. When you're illegal for such a long time, you know no different. You know, having thousands of dollars in your sock drawer is not unusual. Like you know what I mean. It's great when you go in and find a pair of them socks. By the way, randomly six months later, <laughs> it's happened. It's happened, and it's been normally right after Super Bowl when you've spent a lot of money in Super Bowl. Oh, you're I love like, you, Johnny. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but then what happens is, then next thing you know, you're you're paying taxes, and you're like going, oh, but you weren't in a system. You weren't paying a pension in America. You weren't paying one in Ireland. You're, you know, on the flip side, of what I'm saying is, I hope some of them go home now. 
I hope someone will actually take this opportunity to realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not, there's nothing really happening here. If I get home, at least I have family, I have support, I'm in a town, I can make a bill. You know, we have guy because the Ireland they left and the illusion they have in their head. And the funny thing is, families at home are great. They'll they'll talk down the place to you so much at home. Oh, you're missing nothing. Oh, it's crap. Oh, sure, Jesus. They'd be afraid to tell you the weather. Like, they'd be afraid to tell you they had a good time. You'd be like, you know, we have the internet now. I know how good the weather was at home. Stop lying to me. Anyway, I hope it works out for a lot of them. I really do. I worry for the service industry and for these people. I really do. Yeah, yeah I, I just want to say something. Um, like you mentioned, you know, is there an element of shame going home? I, I, with all my heart, I hope there isn't. And now there's, there's one huge benefit straight off the bat to going home. And especially for people who went home early. If you look at the way the Irish government and uh, everybody that was involved in setting up the the response to the pandemic in Ireland, how, how quickly it was put into place, how intelligently it was established and how well it was adhered to would put would certainly puts the US government to shame. Oh yeah. So it for anybody right. that did go right. home is going home to a country where people's health and welfare is number one. It's not the economy. It's not let's get this place back open regardless. So oh, let's let's do it on Easter Sunday because it's going to be great. It, economics yeah. is part of it. There's, we all know money is out there. Money's a necessary evil, but money's no good to you when you're dead. Mm. And you know, no, 100%. I'm not. I don't ever like to get into political conversations. Well, at least not when I'm drinking water. But um, <laughs> I, you know, if you're going home to a country where where people, for the most part, I know it's not perfect, and I know there's a lot of people criticizing what what was done in Ireland. And look, will you criticize for for Slancha? No, oh, you... sure. listen, you're going to find that you're 100 percent right. You're going, you're 100 percent. I've never met anybody, and I know a lot of them that has went home that was illegal and didn't say they were sorry they didn't go sooner. And I, I, I totally agree with it. And when I was younger, when I was younger, I used to think, ah, you're just saying that to humor yourself. But sometimes you look at the life that they have, they've created for themselves. But more what I look at is look at the life that they had here. It wasn't as, you know, it wasn't all that because you're restricted. You know what you mean? I was here, I don't know how long you're here, Sandra, but I was here for 9-11. And I remember the people stopped flying. People are driving to Florida, like for two week holidays. You know what I mean? How dangerous is that? Like, even just driving for that length of time. All these things that you do. But it was all for the greater good. Oh, no, we're good. There's going to be an amnesty. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. And, but they were right. Like, you have to tell yourself them things. You know what I mean? But it's the prison mentality, isn't it? You know, don't think about outside. Just think about in the bubble. Think about what we're doing and we'll get through this. You meet them at home now and they're new people. They're just, they're new people. Like, who cares about money? But it's always, like you mentioned there earlier about the bartender thing and the waitress thing. But it was always, they're, they're not myths. We always knew bartenders did well at the time. But at the same time, that day has kind of gone a little bit too since the cash kind of thing ended. And like, at least with the lads going back to construction, they know what they're going to make at the end of a week. And it's great for them. So I, I'm glad if a lot of them stick it around. But I can see why people in the service industry it was an easy sell for them. And now for the first time ever, they probably had their parents on the phone saying, please come home. Yep. You know, come home. Look how good a job we're doing here. Look what everything is here. It's good. And any young person that's illegal and stuff, and I know a few of them, 
you're mad. Go home. Do your get an education. Do something. Go for the visa the right way. Do not do what the rest of us did. Do not spend all them Christmas and funerals and all that kind of thing. I don't mind missing the weddings. I'm glad I missed all the weddings. But you know. It's a, such a hard decision, though, for people in the hospitality industry who are undocumented. They have to make a decision. We're going home and we are, you're never coming back. Like, like that's, that's, like, that's, that's a brutal. big yeah. decision to make. And I presume a lot of them who yeah. did go home were a lot of the hospi- people in hospitality are undocumented. Undoc- the gravity of the situation, or even if you were here on a visa, if you went home, you might not get back get back in for another couple of months because of the travel yeah. And then you're yeah. at home, and you might have gone for a job interview at home. Like Vincent, my brother was talking to one of the guys that worked for him, and he left just before. He just left before it. But he was looking at getting a visa to come back and his boss wanted to sponsor him and everything. You know, he was an interior designer and he was working with the lads in Haswell's. But now he's, he's, he's stuck at home. And going for a job interview this week in Dublin. But his plan was get home, work in this visa to get back. You, that's where I think there could be a whole generation are going to get lost here. And like even look at the kids that fall in love with America after a J1 year. And you many years later and you say, well, I came into J1 and, you know, 2018 and then I came back on the other visa and now I'm still here. There's a whole generation now have missed this summer and they're down wrecking Cork, I believe at the moment, Michael. Anyway, they've all took their J1 down to Cork and murder <laughs> over them down there, but sure. He's a welcome to them. <laughs> Sandra, the impact on the elderly must have been, um, like it, it's obviously it's a different situation for, for the elderly compared to people going home who are working in the hospitality industry. But the Ashling Centre was there for old people to be that, to give that personal touch and we can all do Zoom, but it's the personal touch is what really, that was so instrumental and so invaluable for the elderly people. So it must be so hard on them for the past couple of months. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. We're definitely seeing that it's definitely the most resilient segment of the community. The elderly, The elderly folks are... You know, not in such a hurry to go anywhere, not in such a hurry. They're not running and rushing every day like the rest of us are under normal circumstances. You know, they're they're happy to talk with their friends on the phone. They're so happy when they when the volunteer comes to the door. They might have the mask on and they might not. But they're so happy when someone comes, not because they're getting a free meal, but because they're seeing another human being and they're having a little chit chat. So while they've they've definitely lost their independence, that sense of independence, where you know, when they're being told, no, don't go out. And we were telling them on the phone, don't come out. We'll get your groceries for you. Don't dare go to the supermarket because you're you're the most vulnerable among us. And in fairness, most of them did listen. There's an odd scallywag who you'd you'd see them. <laughs> Knocking down around McLean Avenue, you know, you might hear someone at the door and when you go out and they, they don't know you're inside, they see you coming and they'll turn and they'll maybe on a Zimmer frame <laughs> walk down the street as fast as they can. I'm not joking. Like, they're amazing. They're a very resilient group of people. I will say that for sure. Um, as the weeks turn into months, you can see a little bit more frustration. Um, but then once the, the weather started to warm up and people were, excuse me, started to feel a little bit more okay about coming out with the mask on. Um, now we'll see uh, the book club girls. Actually, the book club girls, Michael, are still doing their book club meetings by Zoom every week. No way. Yes. Whoa. Aren't they fabulous? <laughs> 
they were a great bunch of us about a dozen of them when I was up there last year Johnny and they're all sitting around and all just so positive like and they had their they had a cake and oh it was just I think anyone anyone who's Irish who's living in New York needs to just go up to the Ashling Centre for just a couple of hours and just see what's going on there it's just it's, Sandra can you use not open that at the moment sorry Michael to, and do social distancing in there you're not allowed to have it at all but so First of all, we're not allowed. Um, secondly, we don't have a huge amount of space. Right. Um, we do have one sort of common room at the back, like a very multi-purpose room. We'll set it up, you know, it's like a function hall, but the maximum capacity is 60 people. The absolute maximum. We're, we're not allowed to right now. Um, and it's one of the things we have to think about, you know, what, what are we going to do when we are allowed to? Can we bring 60 seniors back into that room? And then they're, you know, they're sitting shoulder to shoulder when they're there. Yeah. So is it right to do that? What if one of us gets sick? And, you know, you can't live your life in a bubble and it can't be all about the what ifs. But we, we have to really rethink. We have to jump outside the box and take a really good look at what we're going to do. Um, I, I honestly don't know the answers yet. I really yeah. don't. If, well, at least now, as you say, it's the summer. They can get out, meet in parks themselves. Do hopefully do their own meetings up. It's just hopefully that's the best way you can do it at the moment, because there's no other really option. Yeah, it is sad for them, but it's thankfully they're still with us. But you know, on a, on a serious note, like it could have been a lot worse. Like you know what I mean? If this, like if St. Patrick's Day had it gone on, who knows? Like you know what I mean? We could be talking about a whole different reason why you don't have numbers here. And thankfully, it's not yeah. at that level. Yeah. And thank God, you know, any of our seniors who have passed away, and there's all, you know, when you get to that stage when you're, when you're fraternizing with that, that, uh, that age group, you know that it's just part of life. You are going to lose one here and there. Mm. And anybody that has passed away, and there have been a few, it's all been from their underlying, uh, you know, their underlying illnesses or natural causes. None of them had to the best of my knowledge, contracted COVID and, or died of COVID. Jeez. That's good. Yeah. That's I know good. there have been several losses yeah. in the community, um, but definitely, as far as I know, none of our seniors. So, you know, that speaks for itself. Yeah. I told you. Sandra, would you, I know you have to go, but will you just tell us what the fundra- what, what Team Ashling did in terms of fundraising and the, all the goings on? Because I know there was so much going on and everyone did, did their thing. It was yeah. just just give us a brief uh, overview on, on what everyone what everyone was up to over the last couple of weeks. I think he ended last Sunday, wasn't it? Last like, Sunday. These guys are just amazing, like crazy in the best possible sense. Actually, there was three hundred members of Team Ashling in the Yonkers Marathon two years ago, which literally saved it from extinction. It was on its way out. It was on its last leg. Yeah, it saved the marathon, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the marathon. This past year, there were six hundred members of Team Ashling. It was, I mean, it should be renamed Team Ashling Day. But anyway, that was the marathon. <laughs> the Uncle's Marathon. Um, tire. <laughs> right? So they, they organized a virtual 5K or your, your challenge for the month of May. Started from the very first day of May right through the 30th of September, April, June, November. Okay, 30 to the 31st of May. And they set up a GoFundMe and invited people to take on their own challenge and 
do your your regular fundraising initiatives you know email all your friends tap mom and dad and if the kids have a babysitting job tell them to everybody everybody sponsor me because i'm going to walk 5k run 5k um frank brady who uh, he's he's on a one of our board members he also writes for the irish echo a great community man has just had knee replacement he did a half marathon did he first Yep, and raised over five thousand dollars. I was I, I was patting myself on the back for going out on a out on a bike all week. I was doing brilliant. That day, but my niece. Oh, but, but you see, that's the thing. That's the thing about team Ashling. It's you have to figure out what works for you, and you you set your own challenge and you go at your own pace. And that's exactly what they did. So the real diehard, like Catherine Flood, was out at five o'clock in the morning, and her friends jumped out from behind the shrubs and had two massive big teddy bears like, go, on, go Catherine you got this girl and somebody else went in front of her another friend from team Ashling went in front of her and drew like the mile markers on the street with chalk and it was maybe mile six for Slauncher or mile 16 for Slauncher right. 20 and kept her going the whole way um, and she was doing this on her own you know there was no there was no crowd this was everybody was doing the, what they were doing on their own um, Breda, Breda Carroll. Catherine ran a full marathon on, on the final day, wasn't it? Catherine ran a full marathon on the yeah. final day. I'm... Seamus Kane in Queens ran a full marathon. A whole bunch of fun novel individuals from Sunnyside and Woodside and Maspeth got together in Queens to. I'm, yeah, I was, I was, I was there. It was a big. Uh, yeah. The whole street was filled with Irish people and waving Seamus. And I think he said, "Catching roped him into it by mistake." <laughs> You'll run a marathon, Seamus. Uh, and he said, "Yeah." So he ended up doing one. But there was just, if you seen it. There was just a line of people, and there was a bit of music outside, and there was a bit of social. Yeah. Got proper social distancing, but it was great to yeah. see. It. And who else did? Um, he did one in. He did one here in Juniper Park around. Um, Maspit, and there was someone in uh, Kerry, wasn't there? It was somebody else did one in Kerry, and then all the so when when you say like about the music when they finished up, so the the finale I think was when Catherine got back from her from her marathon, but anybody who had run on the day or people did, you know, like uh, if you looked at the Team Ashling Facebook page, you'd see, you know, okay, so I thought I'd run 100 kilometers this month first launch 2020, but I've actually run 260 kilometers. Thanks to everybody who sponsored me. That's the, that was the kind of carry on. Every, everybody that set their target met it. And, and they also felt good because they were, they knew they were doing something for people who couldn't do what they could do. On the day, March, uh, May 31st, um, very discreetly, very quietly, those that were around to support the family members who had been running were there with their masks. The Ashling Irish Centre Cayley Band, where the, the kids were so good, they were sitting on their chairs, they weren't running around, they had, if they had needed a mask, they had a mask. They were six feet apart, They're, it was marked out with chalk on the, on the street where they could sit. They had their bag of potato and their bottle of water and they played for hours. And cheered anybody that was running on and they had a properly socially distanced um, kind of finale in the, the car park at the back of the church, there's a big space there um, and you know, got their thanks and kind of closed it up. And then they did Don Doherty and Frankie did a Facebook live concert 
And I spent another $7,000, I think, on the day. So it's, it's been massive, a massive response. Um, they raised $67,000 on their own initiative, first launch of 2020. And again, it's the right. community members getting together to do the right thing. You know, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and that's Irish people at their best, you know? Just to finish that, it's absolutely amazing what you did and fair play to you on. And it was like, I was there last week and it was great just to see a little community get together. And it was just, I think everyone needed a bit of contact with, with, the, with the real world, you know, just to be out yeah. in, the, in the group. But um, if people, the slide that um, fundraiser is still open. So if people are looking for help, what are they need, they need to contact you? How do they contact you on the, uh, on the website or through yeah. the Ashling Centre? is on the website so everything is run co- collectively through the slauncha website so it's slauncha2020.org so s-l-a-i-n-t-e 2020.org on that it's a really simple very user-friendly website there's a tab to apply it literally says apply there's a tab to donate if you want to donate so and the message that we put out at the very beginning was if you need help, please ask for help. Hit the, the application button. If you don't need help, please donate if you can. And if you can't, and you know somebody or, or an entity that can, then let them know what's happening. Um, and people actually listen to that. There was a, there's a company in the city. It's, um, it is a construction consultancy company. Didn't even know there was such a thing. But these guys that work in a company called Linesight, Again, oh, great guys. Native. Pat Ryan and yeah, I know them well. Great guys. They took really, yeah. to do a virtual 5K and raised yeah, another brilliant. almost 20 grand for Slauncha. Yeah, you know, we didn't out them. Somebody said to somebody who said to somebody, come on, let's do something. These yeah. guys. That doesn't surprise me. They're, they're a great crowd. They're like originally a guy from Dublin, Boilo, that owns it. And Pat Ryan is from Tipperary. He's one of the bad And John Fitz. They're just, that doesn't surprise me at all. But it, isn't that brilliant? Like, you know what I mean? There'll be a bunch of young Irish girls that work for them that would be very. I'm, I'm going to give the girls the credit for that. I'm going to assume it was the girls that come up with that idea. That's brilliant. I'm delighted it was them that you've mentioned them that they did that. That's brilliant. I'm delighted. Yeah. yeah. We're super, really super. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely restored, I think, definitely restored my faith in humanity. Um, yeah. And who knows what's around the corner? Don't answer that. Do not answer that. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm I'm fine, Super. you know, just taking this one day at a time. Super. Well, guys, right, guys, this was very enjoyable anyway. Thank you. Well, uh, we, we, we might give us an update on the building in a couple of months' time or something, Sandra. But thanks so much for your time. <laughs> we uh, really appreciate it. Absolutely my pleasure. Right. You lads, a great crack. I'm going to to you as well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, go on, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, do you All get right, my... Guys. Right. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. right. perfect, yeah. <laughs> and that's all for this episode of the long haul podcast please hit that subscribe button and keep up to date with all our latest episodes or check back on some previous shows including that highly controversial interview with former kerry county board chairman pat debago sullivan on the state of new york ga as well as podcasts with Dublin footballer Jack McCaffrey and former Galway hurler Johnny Glynn. We appreciate all feedback, so please give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter at The Long Haul Pod.
was so awful strong, my head went round and round to me away. You Santi, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka to me way? Santi, my dear Annie.